with vexation. She accomplished nothing. What work are you trying to accomplish? What is your life mission? What is the purpose of your life? On your deathbed, what will you have completed? What is your work? In our sermon series on the last seven words of Christ, we are on the sixth word today, uh, John 1930. We're going to focus in on that as we heard the whole story of the death and resurrection this morning. Let's just focus on in the last word, John 1930. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. After approximately 33 years on earth, after early morning, in the middle of the night, arrest, sitting through a kangaroo court in the dark hours with Caiaphas, listening to a corrupt ruler in Pilate, having been beaten close to his death, mocked and ridiculed, crucified and hanging on a cross, scrambling for every breath for six hours. Jesus loudly declares, it is finished. Clearly, he views that his life accomplished something, that something accomplished in this moment, that his life and his death have significance and meaning. It is finished. This is actually just one word in the Greek. On the the sixth word, Jesus just utters one word. Finished, done, accomplished, paid, complete, perfect. That's what that word means that he utters at the cross in his last moments. Perfect, accomplished. It is completed. It is fulfilled. It is paid. It is done. It is finished. What is finished? What is accomplished? There's lots of things that get accomplished on the cross. There's lots of things that get accomplished with the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, but let's just talk about a few of them. The first one, the fulfillment of all God's prophecies and promises on Christ. Yes, they are finished. They are fulfilled. The end of our sins and the fulfillment of the requirements of the law. Yes, it is finished. Jesus is our intercessor. He takes on our sins. He takes on the wrath that we deserve, fulfilling the requirements of the law, justice, and the requirements of God's holiness set apart, being different than the rest of us. He fulfills all of that so we get to be with him. Yes, that's accomplished at the cross. The end of his physical suffering, just moments away, he will have his last breath. This brutal and cruel moment, this public ridicule is about to be finished for him. Moments away to being glorified with the Father. Yes, his public suffering is finished. The end of Satan's power Death defeated by death. The promise and the covenant of Abraham and all of the covenants of God fulfilled in Jesus. In this moment, 
Satan has his head crushed. You may say, well, Satan's still around. The evil one's still around. He is bound. He is defeated at the cross. Yes to all of that. But today I just want to narrow down on, on two other things that I think are really important that Jesus said. It is finished. It is complete. It is perfect. That's accomplished at the cross. The first one is the goal of incarnation. It is finished at the cross. And the work of atonement. It is finished. Jesus finishes the goal and the purpose of the incarnation. God in the flesh. God with us. God tabernacling, pitching his tent, moving into the neighborhood. God being with us is finished at the cross. He has accomplished all that he needs accomplished. Each person of the triune God, of this divine trinity, this one God, revealed himself in three persons, has a specific role in the work of redemption. And we, we have to be careful when we talk about the Trinity, and we have to talk about, careful about when we talk about the roles in the Trinity, because, uh, man, they're, they're all intermixed, because this, this one God has one mind. All three of the tr- persons of the Trinity share the one mind, share the same love, share the same will, share the same power. But in the, when we talk about salvation, Scripture talks about it, that they have different roles and different parts in this. So the Father has a plan for redemption. If you actually open up your Bibles to Ephesians 1, we're going to be taking this, the, see the tri- Trinity in this, in this passage, Ephesians 1, and talk about God's plan for salvation. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ and with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Just, did you hear that for a second? The Father chose us. Chose us before the foundation of the world, before creation has ever happened. He chose us. This God that's not bound in time, not bound in space, chose us before all of creation. And he chose us according to the purpose of his will. This is God's desire. He has a plan for us. The Father has a plan, a will, and a work for his Son, that we are going to be saved through him, through Jesus. Did you hear that in verse 5? Jesus' job is to accomplish the Father's plan, the redemption of God's people. We hear this plan from the very beginning when God institutes, like, I have a plan. As soon as sin enters the world, God had this plan before creation, but God says it speaks it. He speaks it to Satan. He speaks it to the serpent in the garden. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head. He will crush you. That's Jesus. And you shall bruise his heel. You shall make him suffer. You shall hurt him. This is the cross. 
This is the bruising of the heel. But the bruising of the heel is actually the crushing of Satan, the defeat of Satan. The plan and purpose of God is our redemption. The Father, the Father has a plan. And this, this plan and this purpose was repeated uh, and clarified in Scripture over and over again. The Father has a plan. The Son accomplished the work of redemption that the Father set forth. Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory." The Father has a plan. The Son accomplishes that plan. And that plan is our redemption. That plan is the cross. Through His blood, we will be atoned for. We will be saved. In Him, God will unite all things in Christ. God will bring about an inheritance as, our, as, as, as we're brothers and sisters in Christ, in union with Him and Him alone. All according to to the will and the plan and the purpose of the Father. Now remember, the Father and the Son have the same will. The Spirit communicates and seals, regenerates salvation in our hearts. Ephesians 1, verse 13, we'll just continue on. In Him you also have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. We're sealed with the promise of Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit's plan and work in our salvation is that He gives us, He breathes out the Word of God. We have it in Scripture. This is, he is the author of this, and then He lives in our hearts. He seals it in our hearts so that we believe it, we know that it's His Word, and we know it's true, and that Having this Holy Spirit, God residing in us, is a guarantee of the inheritance and the salvation that is to come. The Father has a plan. The Son accomplishes redemption. The Spirit seals it and guarantees it in our heart. Salvation, redemption, and atonement, all the promises and work are accomplished of God and a God alone. More pointed. Let's focus on the work of the Son. The one who says, it is finished. The purpose and work of the incarnation, the eternal Son becoming flesh, the invisible God becoming visible. The purpose of this incarnation is to accomplish the plan and purpose and will of the Father. Reconciling all things to Himself. Reconciling us to Him redeeming us. Here, Jesus' relentless devotion to the will and plan of the Father. Hear it clearly in Scripture. 
John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is, this is what motivates This is his, what, all what his purpose is, is to do the will of the Father, to accomplish his work. That word accomplished, it's the same word he uses on the cross. It is finished. To finish the work. To finish the plan. John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. This word right. Accomplish. Once again, it's that same word. Finish. Complete. Perfect. I'm accomplishing his will. That's my plan. And when he gets to the cross, it is accomplished. It's this not Jesus' death that accomplishes the work, but it's the manner in which he lives his life. He, Jesus fulfills this covenant of works in which God gives to Adam and we are to live under. This covenant of works is, is perfect obedience. Obey your parent. Obey the Father. In all things, and all Adam had to do and all Eve had to do was to obey him perfectly. And one commandment, he says, do not do this. And they fail. And then sin breaks into this world, devastating all. And see, Jesus lives the perfect and complete life of obedience in which we could not do. He completes the plan of the Father. Obedience. The manner of obedience is just as important as his death. His death is the culmination of a lifelong obedience to the Father, fulfilling all the requirements of the law, loving God and loving neighbor. John 17, 4, Jesus says, I glorified, he's this is his high priestly prayer, he's talking to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished, that same word, the work of, that you gave me to do. Notice this in John 14, it's past tense too. I've accomplished, I've lived my life. This, is this, this prayer is moments before that he's going to be into this ordeal onto the cross. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, that the Father gave the Son to do. And all that work is to do, what does it say? It's to glorify the Father. I do the plan and the will and to glorify the Father. The life, death, and work of Jesus is to glorify and bring honor to the Father. He does that through a perfect obedience of his will, even willing to take the punishment of the cross because the Father wills it. Because the Father wills it that we be united and one with him. Because the Father wants us to have shalom. He wants us to have this peace, this deep understanding of peace. Not just peace of lack of conflict, but this peace that resides, this, this oneness. As a, as a husband and wife become one is a, is a beginning of that shalom, that peace, that oneness. But it's the, it's the oneness with God, that overwhelming, that unsurpassing, that, that peace that makes no sense God wants us to have, this unity. Matthew 26, 39, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Father, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, 
let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Three times he prays this. And three times he says, not as I will, but as you will. This, this, is, what Jesus, this is the model of obedience. That I will do what you want. Even when you want, man, that seems hard. That seems difficult. Is that really what you want? I will do it. I will do it. You see, Jesus models obedience on the cross. We are engrafted and made one with Jesus. Our disobedience is transferred to him on the cross. So that is us on the cross. It is our sins on the cross. It is our punishment that's being issued at the cross. Not his. His is perfect obedience. And his, this is the beauty, this is the mystery of the cross, that his righteousness, his perfect obedience is imputed to us, given to us freely, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us, because he wants to be united with us, because he has an unrelenting justice, inflexible justice, and completely holy. He needs us to be holy, and so he makes us holy by taking on our unrighteousness, giving us the righteousness of the Son that lived the perfect life all the way through death. And then He gives us more than that. He gives us this Holy Spirit that begins to change us, that begins to acknowledge us, that begins to turn to Him from the inside out. The old is gone and the new is beginning to resurrect in us. The final fulfillment the culmination of the plan, the purpose of Jesus' incarnation coming in the flesh to fill the Father's plans, to unite us. It is finished. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished because there's one more thing that happened, one more act of obedience besides it is finished, one more act of obedience that Jesus has on the cross. He says, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He voluntarily died. No one took his life. He gave it. He gave it to the Father for us. He gave up. It not, it's, this is not his Holy Spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is his human spirit. He gives back to the Father to be with him in paradise that very day. In John 10, 17 to 18, Jesus says this in his life. Where he says, for this reason the Father loves me. For this, for this act of obedience that I will do, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I received from the Father. The will and the authority that is that Jesus participates with the Father in his death, and he participates with the Father in the resurrection. He says, I have this authority to lay down my life, no one takes it. I orchestrate all these things so people will kill me. So I will go to the cross. So I will take this punishment. No one's taking my life. I'm going here. I could come down this cross at any moment, but I go because it's the plan. 
I volunteer to die. And then this is amazing. Jesus, why he's dead, participates because his spirit never dies, participates in his resurrection because the Father has given him this power. Because him and the Father are one, one power, one will, one mind. Compare, compare this will, the, the, this will of, of Jesus on the cross to the will and the statements of Queen Elizabeth, which I read at the beginning. Jesus' purpose was to do the will of the Father, to glorify the Father here on earth in every moment and everything that he did, even in his death. Every moment is a life lived for the Father's glory. Every moment is lived on his behalf for our sake. Because God so loved the world, he sent his Son to love us, to live for us, and to die for us. Queen Elizabeth and many of us live for our glory. We live for ourselves. She lived for the, uh, even when it's the benefit of our, her subjects, even when it's for the benefit of people around us, it's still about us, about our glory, about our accomplishments, what we have finished, our legacy. What is the purpose of your life? What is every moment of your life lived for? What have you accomplished? What have you fulfilled? Jesus says, it is finished. Jesus, Jesus finishes the work of the incarnation, the purpose of the incarnation, and he finishes the work of the atonement, the Father's plan. Luke 19.10 for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 1 Timothy 1.15 This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And 1 John 3.5 You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. In Him there is no sin. You and I could only be found in our sins. And he comes to take them away. He takes our place and bears our iniquity, fulfilling the inflexible demands of justice, of God's justice, and the unrelenting requirements of God's holiness. A horrific debt to be paid, Jesus atones for us. He atones for our lives. He atones for our thoughts, the way we think, and the way we live. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right? This, is, this is the incarnate. So He comes down, He be incarnate, so He can make purification for our sins, the atonement, then He gets to be glorified again with the God on high. He is the covering of our sin and, sin and shame. Hebrews 9, 11, 12. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come, even through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation, this, this perfect tent, this, this body, right, he, that he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, the sacrifice which the Israelites made, but by means of his own blood, 
thus securing an eternal redemption, atonement for us. So now he has in this resurrection the perfect tent, the perfect body, complete. He grants us access to God, to the Father. A.W. Pink says it this way, Jesus is the most excellent sacrifice, typified by Abel's lamb. Jesus is the shelter from the divine storm of judgment, typified by Noah's ark. Jesus is the only begotten and well-beloved son, typified by Abraham's offering up of Isaac. Uh, Jesus is the protection from the avenging angel, typified by the blood shed over the Passover lamb, over the door. T- Jesus is the, a cure from the serpent's bite, typified by the brass serpent on Moses' pole. Jesus is the life-giving fountain, typified by Moses striking the rock in the wilderness. Jesus is the fulfillment of and the redemption and the atonement of all things. Hebrews 9, 25-28, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just says it, And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Christ is the one-time sacrifice. It is finished. It is complete. Our, Our sin is complete. It's done. It's finished at the cross. Jesus pays the penalty and the wrath so we get to be one with him. And did you hear this other thing? There's another promise, right? We are not judged at death. We are judged when he comes again. And are we eagerly awaiting? Are we anticipating this? Are we anticipating being with God in a new body, atoned for, in a new creation, resurrected? It is finished. It is complete. It is perfect. Do you believe this? Or do you believe you need to do something for God to earn and merit your life and salvation, to earn and merit every breath that you take? What is your work then? What do you accomplish? A.W. Pink tells the story of a farmer and a carpenter. It's a Christian farmer, and he's concerned about his unsaved a carpenter friend. And so the farmer wanted to demonstrate God's free and glorious grace to this carpenter. And he was frustrated that, that, that this carpenter just had the sense that he needed to, to do something more for God, that he needed to help finish God's work, that he needed to, to live a life of obedience and perfect for God in order for him to be saved. And so the carpenter insisted that he must do something for his salvation. And so one day... The farmer hired the carpenter to build this exquisite gate for his fence. When the carpenter finished the gate, it was incredible detail and exquisite gate for this friend, uh, for this fence, uh, more than this fence really deserved. And so, 
he was surprised to see when he came to install this gate that the farmer had showed up. But the farmer showed up with an axe, a very sharp axe in hand. And so the carpenter asked the, the farmer, uh, what are you going to do with that axe? And the farmer said, well, I'm going to add a few cuts and strokes to your woodwork. And the carpenter said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is a perfect gate. I worked hard on this. There's nothing you can add to do the beauty of this gate. This is exquisite. This works perfectly, gate, and it's beautiful. Oh, I, I did everything to complete it and finish it, everything that was necessary for this gate to work and to be beautiful. The farmer took notice, lifted up his axe, and destroyed the gate. Swing by swing. It was completely spoiled. The carpenter cried out and said, Look what you've done! You have ruined my work! And the farmer replied, Yes, that's exactly what you are trying to do. You are seeking to nullify the work of Christ in your life by your own miserable additions. We add nothing to the work of Christ. He has finished it. He has completed it for us. He has perfected it. His work on the cross. It is His work on the cross. Because of us. But His work, not ours. You see, friends, God so loved you that he gave you his son. That Jesus took on human flesh. That he lived a perfect life of obedience because we cannot. At the cross, he switches places with us. He bears our sin, takes our punishment, and he clothes us with his righteousness. Unites us with him undeservedly. He defeats our death with his death. And his death brings new life, new creation. At the cross, Christ finishes the work of reconciling all things. What is our work? What is our purpose? What do we accomplish? The short answer is nothing. We add nothing to the work of Jesus. But here's the good thing. We are God's children and from the very beginning, he says, you have a work. It's not the work of salvation. It's not the work of the Son. It's not the work of redemption. It's not the work of the atonement. That's not your work. You can't do that. You can't fix yourself. I can fix it. I will take the punishment. I will make you new. But there's a work that he gave us from the foundation of the world. In Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Multiply and fill the earth more with more of God's image bearers. This is before the fall. Multiply and fill with more God's image bearers to reflect God's glory. John 9, 3 for 5. Jesus responding to the disciples. They're asking him about why the blind person, is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? Why the person blind? Of course, Jesus is a, it's neither of them. But this is what he says very clearly. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, Jesus and the disciples, must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We have work to do. It's not Jesus' work. It's, it's part of it, but it's not the work of the cross. It's a work that he goes. And what is he doing? He's, living? he's sharing the good news. He's telling people about who he is. He's trying to multiply himself by having disciples. By teaching about this is, this is how I live. Follow me. He says we must work. It's our call. Another way that Jesus says this, this is your work to all of us. Our purpose he says it in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, 18, 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The book of, the book of Acts uses this word multiply over and over again about this work. We are to be spiritual multipliers of God's image by communicating the gospel in word and indeed in our actions, by being people of reconciliation, reconciling people, pointing them to God, reconciling them to us, forgiving them, being people of peace. Our work is to point people to the finished, complete work of Christ. We don't add to it, but we shine a light on it while it's day. This is, we shine a light on God's work, You see, he is the creator. Even when we are doing our work, it's actually God working through us. God sustaining us. God redeeming all things. Yet he still has a work for us. He has a purpose for us. This is where we begin to fulfill who we are, our work. Since the foundation of the world, which is to give God the glory in all things and to multiply that glory. Multiply the image bearers of God's glory multiplying the image bearers and the communicators of his good news. This is your purpose. This is our work. No matter how you make a living, no matter how you make an income, no matter if you're not making an income or not, this is your calling, your vocation, to be multipliers of the glory image bearers of God. It is finished. Jesus finished the work of the incarnate God. All that is necessary is complete. Jesus has finished the work of atonement, that which we cannot do, that which we cannot add to. He has perfected all that is necessary. Do you believe this? Will you believe this? Do you acknowledge this truth in your life, that God so loves you that he did all that was necessary to be in an intimate relationship with you. You and I didn't deserve this. You and I don't deserve this. God's love is so vast, so incomprehensible, that he finished all that was necessary for us to be in a loving relationship with him so we could see him face to face one day and enter the joyous work that he created us to do right now. Multiply. Multiply his glory. Multiply his grace. Multiply his work. Multiply his image. Go forth today and bear God's glory, not your glory. Go forth today and multiply his love, not your love. 
Go forth today and show the world His finished work, not yours. To God be the glory forever and ever because He loves you.